0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Welcome this evening. Good to, to uh, be with you tonight again. I'm glad that you're able to be here and we can share the Lord's table together. Looks like there's still, still some folks coming in from outside, out in the hall, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll bring them in. Let's turn our Bibles to Second Chronicles, please. Second Chronicles chapter 2 the young people are going to go upstairs I think at this time for their class so you may feel free to go they're gonna go whether I tell them they can go or not it looks like so we might as well just let them (laughs) second Chronicles 2 brother James I'll put you on the spot about what year was Haggai written you have that on the top of your head 520 BC now Almost 500 years before that, we are looking at Solomon preparing to build the temple. So here we go, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal house for himself. Solomon selected 70,000 men to bear burdens, 80,000 to quarry stone in the mountains, and 3,600 to oversee them. I just imagine... Colossal task that is. How many people quarrying stones? 3,600 foremen, managers for the job. Wow, that's, a, that's an org chart there. Then Solomon sent to Hiram king of Tyre saying, as you have dealt with David my father and sent him cedars to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread, for the burnt offerings morning and evening, on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the temple which I build, listen to this, will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a temple, since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then? that I should build him a temple except to burn sacrifice before him. Therefore send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver and bronze and iron and purple and crimson and blue, who has skill to engrave with the skillful men who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Also send me cedar and cypress and algam logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants have skill to cut timber in Lebanon." And indeed, my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance for the temple which I am about to build shall be great and wonderful. That's amazing, isn't it? Just a blessing to hear a man who wants to obey God and do it with excellence and to the max and then to be seeking out uh, international assistance for the project. It's quite, uh, quite something. Verse 10, and indeed, I will give to your servants, the woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, for he has given King David a wise son endowed with prudence and understanding who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal house for himself. And now I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Huram, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan and his father was a man of Tyre, skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson and to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him, with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David, your father. Now therefore, the wheat, the barley, the oil, and the wine which my Lord has spoken of, let let him send to his servants, and we will cut wood from Lebanon as much as you need. We will bring it to you in rafts by sea to Joppa, and you will carry it up to Jerusalem." and Solomon numbered all the aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census which David his father had numbered them in which David his father had numbered them and there were found to be 153,600 and he made 70,000 of them bearers of burdens 80,000 stone cutters in the mountain and 3,600 overseers to make the people work 2 chronicles chapter 2 tremendous task oh how i would like to have seen The temple that was the result of that construction, perhaps sometime we'll be able to see a a rendition or rendering of it that would uh, do it justice. Amen. In our time of uh, message tonight, I want to uh, take you back to the Gospels in Matthew and elsewhere and share with you some of the burden that uh, I think the Lord has laid on my heart for our church uh, in these days, regarding the topic of who are disciples of Jesus, who are disciples, the real disciples of Jesus. The Bible is clear about the character and the behavior of disciples, and we uh, introduced this message, part one, last time by reminding ourselves that we are tasked with making disciples. We are tasked to be disciples, to be growing disciples, and to make other disciples. That is why we exist as a church and as a bunch of Christian people, uh, we don't have a, a, a God-given you know, ministry or aim or a target to please ourselves or to do things uh, regarding our own wants and desires, but to do that which God uh, tells us. And if we believe that the matters of life and death are are imminent upon us and that they are really important, we will do that. We will work to make disciples. If we don't know what the product is that we're building, then we're going to have a tough time building it, so to speak. We used that illustration last time, and so we talked about what discipleship is, roughly, equals belief and transformation. And uh, if you have one without the other, you really have an incomplete picture of what Christianity is. You either have uh, easy believism or you have uh, a kind of uh, half-baked, uh, version of moralism that doesn't do doesn't do anything for anybody. That is, if you just try to teach people to improve their conduct, or if you just tell people all you have to do is believe a few facts, then you have two pieces that are kind of part of discipleship, but they're not. The power of them is is absent if they're uh, held apart from one another. We looked in Luke chapter fourteen at a number of verses that have to do with. The uh, my disciple phrase, uh, the Lord said several times, my disciples. Uh, there, are, there are other disciples or other uh, ones that are, that are uh, people uh, who follow and uh, become disciples of, but our issue is disciples of Jesus who are his disciples. And then after I've looked at that for a little bit with you, we started into the task of looking at all 250 verses in the New Testament that talk about the idea of a disciple. And many of them are in narrative text uh, and and just tell the uh, accounts about what the Lord did with the disciples, what the disciples did. All of the verses except for two are in the New Testament, and uh, those are the ones on which we're focused. And so we looked at a number of them. Uh, Last time we said, I'll just refresh your memory, uh, characteristics of disciples, they listen to Jesus' teaching, first of all. They listened to His teaching. The disciples came to Him at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. They were there. He sat down and He taught them. They listened to His teaching. Desi- disciples desire to follow the Lord's teaching in that sermon. They desire to be perfect as their Father in heaven is perfect, Matthew five forty eight. Who among us who are Christians would be able to say that they don't have that desire, to put it negatively? or to put it back positively again all of us have had that desire in our our hearts just lord i don't want to sin anymore i just be done with this you know this whole you know imperfect condition in which we live we des- we desire to be like our father and like our savior uh, disciples however are not really disciples unless they follow the lord that's in Matthew chapter 8 verse 21 and uh, 23, you know, several times we have uh, examples of people who uh, maybe say they want to be disciples or pretend to be disciples, and then they, they drop off or they don't really follow the Lord. So you, if, you're, if you're not following the Lord, you're not a disciple. If you're not, a, if you're not following the Lord, you're not a Christian. That's just the bottom line. And I'm talking about as a pattern of life. I'm not talking about perfection in every moment, as we said very carefully last time. Uh, The disciple is like the Lord Jesus. Remember, a disciple is like his teacher. A a student is like his teacher. You perhaps have seen that before in your life um, under the instruction of parents or the instruction of a teacher. Uh, I've seen it in the university setting where uh, students really want to get into the class of a particular instructor that they've heard about and they think he's well-known or he's very smart or... He's clever and, you know, they think that that will give them an, a leg up perhaps in life and in work or whatever. Or they just like the, the professor and they want to follow his teaching. Well, that happened all the time in, in ancient Israel and in, in Greek culture as well, in Roman culture. People would follow these teachers. They wanted to be like them. And so we as followers of Jesus are to be like him. Consequently, however, the disciple may suffer persecution, as the Lord did. The world hates him, and it hates those who follow him. The disciple also has a close relationship with Christ, like a close-knit family. Remember, the Lord uh, said, you know, here are my father, mother, and brothers, and sisters, you know, before those who do the will of God are that. So we have, if we have no one else in this life, we have... Uh, the relationship with Jesus and with his family. And then I think we l- ended here last time. On, this is the number eight one on my list. The disciples curious to know the meaning of God's word and asks questions about it. In Matthew chapter 13, the Lord is teaching by way of disciple or by way of parable. And um, we have a little trouble with the live stream tonight. No, we're okay. All right. So um, the the disciples asked the Lord, they said, tell us the meaning of this parable. Uh, tell us the meaning of the um, parable of the soils or the wheat and the tares. You remember they often ask that kind of question of the Lord and they had kind of the inside track because they could, after the, after the meeting, so to speak, they could go to the house where they were staying or whatever and they could ask him, now, could you tell us the meaning of that? But notice the disciple is curious to know the meaning of God's word. We don't just sit there and hear what, you know, we'll say the pastor is teaching and, and go away with no curiosity or no interest in what the word of God says uh, at all. We have that curiosity. Matthew chapter 17 uh, mentions something of that as well. Matthew seventeen ten. it says, this is after the transfiguration. His disciples asked him, saying, why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? What is the meaning of this? They ask. Uh, Matthew 24, this, the uh, Olivet Discourse, they come out of Jerusalem and they say, uh, you know, Lord, look at all this wonderful stuff here. And, and then he says, look, I'm telling you not one stone will be left upon another. And they asked him, "What? when is this going to happen? What, what's the sign of your coming? They want to know something about what the Lord is up to. And then, of course... They come to an understanding, that is, the disciples come to an understanding of God's word when they dig into it. Matthew 17, again, after the transfiguration, when they're asked the question about Elijah, it says, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. And so they're curious. We're, we are curious, and we find out the answers to the questions that we have. Number nine on my list in Matthew chapter 13, the disciple is instructed in the things concerning the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Concerning the kingdom of heaven. One of our brothers that is not with us here just shared with me that he's reading a book about the kingdom of heaven and he's finding it very edifying and encouraging. And uh, there is enough material to write a book on the kingdom of heaven. In fact, enough material for several books, in fact, to uh, dig into the scriptures and explain what what is happening in the Bible as far as the kingdom of, of heaven is concerned. In Matthew 13 and verse 52, Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So the disciple is instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. Now, as I'm just it's occurring to me as I'm sharing these with you, if you say to yourself, Well, I've been a disciple of the Lord for a while, but I really don't feel like I know too much about the kingdom, or I'm not, you know, one of these points that Pastor has has made here, I'm a little bit weak on that. Well, the reason I'm doing this is so that you check yourself and say, okay, if the disciple is curious about God's word and I've kind of, you know, I've become more curious about other things, maybe I need to, you know, shift my priorities a little bit. Get into the Word some more. Or if I'm supposed to know something about the kingdom of heaven, I mean, after all, you are a citizen of the coming kingdom, and we are an embassy of the coming kingdom. Did you ever think about that? People out there can come in to the embassy to find out about the coming kingdom. We can tell them and we can help them to know if they're a citizen of that kingdom or not, and if they're not, to help them become that if they believe in the Lord Jesus just like Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. So come to the embassy. We're the ambassadors in the embassy. Uh, the church, I'm speaking, is the building is the church, but really you understand that the church is the people. And so we are the embassy. We are the outpost of the kingdom in this corner of Ann Arbor. And if you feel like, man, I don't really understand that, then you, know, you need to sharpen your pencil a little bit and, and, and dig in try to understand the kingdom of heaven and, and dig into those parables and read the scriptures about them. I'd be happy to talk to you about that subject. In fact, one of my favorite subjects, as many of you know. Matthew chapter 15 gives us another characteristic of the disciples. The disciple does not always or only or exclusively follow all of the old traditions. You know, the... Um, uh, the the parable where the Lord talks about the garment that's torn, that you don't put on a new piece of fabric on that, or old wine skins, you don't reuse them, you know, to the point where you put new wine in them, which expands and, and, you know, tears them, destroys them. And so it is with the New Testament church. We don't, we're not a patch on uh, Old Testament Israel. We are connected, we are related but it's like you know, with a, I used the word patch, so it immediately made me think of computer software, because that is a, my brother smiling. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it is too this, the old software is too far gone to patch. You need to rewrite it, and although it may have similar functions and do similar things, you know it's not running on the big iron IBM mainframe anymore. It's running on a little PC, and you have to rewrite it from scratch to make it work. You can't just patch what you have and the disciple of christ understands that that you know we don't follow all the old traditions uh, or the, those things we understand them and we know when they are appropriate and when they're not appropriate to include into our into our worship for example we know that animal sacrifice is nowhere near the the appropriate nature of christian worship it's just out so we're not bound to that in, its, in the old tradition. Number 11, the disciple of the Lord serves the Lord and His people. And I have a number of verses here under this heading. I'll just pick one of them in Matthew 15, verse 36. It says, "...Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to His disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude." This is the feeding of the 4,000, which is probably 12,000 or something like that. But you can imagine, the disciples were serving the Lord by distributing food. Now, that's table service. That's, that's, you know, that's not like you know, CEO-type stuff, okay? That's serving at the table. Uh, I, I uh, am pleased to, I won't share the name, but I'm pleased to know a fellow who was uh, in the uh, government um, quite high up in the government back in the early 2000s after 9-11 and uh, I was delighted to see him at our meeting in Florida with the mission, GMSA, and he was going around to the tables picking up the uh, paper plates and utensils after people were done eating dinner and he had a stack of them like this high that he was taking to the trash can. Now, he's not a fellow that you would think would be waiting on tables. But that's what disciples do. They, they do those sorts of things because they serve the Lord and they serve people. In Matthew chapter 21 is another example of that. Um, Jesus said to them, Go to the village opposite you and immediately, immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose her or them and bring them to me. So there's the Lord Uh, telling the disciples to go and do this. And they do that. They serve him that way. And there are a number of other verses as well in which the Lord or the disciples do this. Matthew 16, this is an important one. Matthew 16, number 12 on my list. And all this is on the church website, by the way. If you're online, you can see it right there in the normal spot, fbcaa.org slash docs. uh, So you don't have to feel like, oh, I want to capture all these. No, they're already captured for you and written down. In Matthew 16, verse uh, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so what does a disciple do but acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God? If you are not acknowledging that he's the Messiah, if you're not acknowledging that he's the Son of God, then you're not a disciple, period. Okay? Don't be deceived about that. It's very simple. Uh, Disciples, uh, like I, I think I prayed uh, this morning in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, acknowledge Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's what a a fresh, brand, spanking new disciple believes uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our confession of faith. Later on in Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, from that time Jesus began to show to His disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things uh, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And then it says, and be raised the third day. So on my list, number 13, the disciple knows the Lord was killed and raised on the third day. And this happens in the gospels, several places where the Lord is predicting to them that this will happen. And then, in fact, it does happen. So the disciple acknowledges the death of the Lord and the resurrection of the Lord. Notice that it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer, and he must die, and he must rise again. There's no option for him. Okay. There's a, As I said last time, a, well, maybe not last time, whatever it was, I talked about this notion of a consequent necessity. Once God decided that he was going to save humanity, consequently it became necessary that Jesus die for our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the shedding of, in effect, a a human being, because that answers to our depth of depravity, if you will, the death of ourselves, the death of someone that is, um, how can I say, of equal magnitude to the problem, not just the death of an animal, because the blood of bulls and goats could not finally and ultimately take away sin. And so the Lord had to come. He must come. It behooved him to come, Luke chapter 24. He had to do that. The scriptures predicted it, and if they do, then it must be done. You can't just say, well, uh, no, it was unnecessary to the Christian faith. A number 14, Matthew 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Jesus, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, "'If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself.'" And take up his cross and follow me. By nature, I'm moving through these quickly because they're just, you know, a little quick uh, hit and runs, if you will. We could spend more time on each of these. But the disciple must, what does the Lord say? Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Okay, now obviously we're not talking about denying yourself to some ridiculous extent um, like... You know, going and sitting on top of a, a, a tall pole and just sitting there and you know meditating 24/7. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about uh, a monastery or asceticism as some way to uh, cleanse your body and soul of sin. That doesn't work. Uh, but the Christian has to say no to himself. He must say no to himself. He must take up his cross and follow me and by the way what does it mean to take up your cross I think we talked about that last time uh, when we said the disciple of Jesus counts the cost and has assigned his possessions or consigned his possessions and even his life to the Lord when you take up your cross that doesn't mean that you know you bear the burden of whatever the health problem is or whatever it is that you have the cross was the instrument of death the cross was the instrument of persecution for the Christian and uh, we are to be able to be willing to, to, to die for the Lord as we follow him. That's what he says, follow me. Number 15, the disciple recognizes the human impossibility of salvation. <clears throat> the disciple recognizes the human impossibility of salvation. Matthew nineteen twenty five. Well, backing up, remember Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler. Uh, The guy says, look, I've kept all these things from my youth up. The Lord says, you lack one more thing. Go sell all that you have and uh, give to the poor and then follow me and, you know, you'll be my disciple. Well, the young man was uh, rich and he went away sorrowful because of that statement. And Jesus said, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a Sewing needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And this is far from a kind of attack on riches. It's not a class warfare verse. People might want to make it out to be, uh, you know, social justice warriors in the Christian mold. It's not that at all. It's that those people who have that stuff are so self-sufficient, they think they have everything they need. They don't need anything. Uh, they think that their resources, you know, money, answers, everything, can solve their problems, and so it's so difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples heard this, and they were greatly astonished, and they made this astute observation. They said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, All things are possible. So the disciple recognizes the human impossibility of salvation, the human impossibility of salvation. You recognize that, I trust. You've been taught that, and that is the biblical teaching. Number 16, there are also false disciples. We recognize that. The disciples of the wrong religion, Uh, The Pharisees had disciples, didn't they? They traversed over land and sea to make one disciple, and when they were done making him, they made him twice the son of hell as themselves. Yeah, they really did a job on the person. They deceived them. They taught them wrongly. They got them all tangled up in legalism and and, uh, that kind of approach to God, hypocrisy. They were, in effect, disciples of the devil. There are false disciples. There are disciples who claim to be Christians, uh, pretend to be Christians. There are disciples who uh, you know, are disciples of other things, but they're not disciples of the Lord. So just because even in the Scripture, sometimes it talks about people who are disciples, but you have to understand are they really followers of the Lord or not Um, we're here tonight for the Lord's table and uh, Matthew 26 and 26 verse 26 of chapter 26 says and as they were eating Jesus took bread blessed and broken and gave it to the disciples and said take and eat this is my body disciples partake Of the Lord's table. They partake of the Lord's table. Uh, I've said this uh, illustration before, but the churches that we have some connection with down in South America are so serious about the Lord's table that if somebody misses it consistently, they are up for church discipline to be removed from the fellowship because they are not showing themselves to have interest in uh, the table of the Lord. And although we haven't done that i want to elevate that in your mind people who don't take the lord's table are disobedient to the lord it's just that's just the fact of it and it's important for us to partake of the lord's table sometimes you know you might not do it for a month or two here or there but it's very important for your soul it's very important for the church uh, the Lord did say, and in, in indicating through Paul, as often as you do this, indicating there is some regularity or frequency to it, it's not once a year, it's not once every six months. You know, some of the brethren in the churches have the Lord's Supper every week. Now you can, obviously as with anything, you can turn it into a ritual that's meaningless, you can, you know, take baptism and turn it upside down. You can take circumcision and turn it upside. down, You can take the Lord's table and make it meaningless. But that's not what we want to do. But we want to partake of it on a regular basis, knowing that it's crucial for us as a church, as a checkup time, as a way of expressing uh, until the Lord comes, our adherence to his sacrifice, his self-sacrifice, Substitution for us is death, burial, and resurrection, and all of that. It's crucial for us to partake uh, in the Lord's table. Disciples partake of the Lord's table. Uh, I also noticed in my study in Matthew chapter 27 that disciples are drawn from all walks of life, including rich people, formerly religious people, uh, fishermen, tax collectors, physicians and all other kinds of people. This is in, I picked this up from Matthew 27, 57. It says, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also, what, become a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, Uh, it was a little bit of a sketchy thing for him to do that because he was on their council, and he and Nicodemus were, vastly outnumbered among the 70, just two of them that we know of that were uh, converts to the Lord and had some sense in them about what was happening with the Lord's ministry. But the Lord draws disciples from all walks of life, and so we can see that uh, even in our own assembly, you know, people who do all kinds of jobs, have all kinds of levels of education, uh, you know, various levels of socioeconomic standing, whatever. No, that's good, but we're all in the church together as a family of God. The disciples are drawn from all walks of life. And then in Matthew chapter 28, and this is where I think uh, we'll probably end here this evening, uh, is, is the number 19 on my list. Disciples have a job to make more disciples, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And you'd be sick of me saying this, but... Um, you know that if you don't know your mission, if you don't know your mission statement, then you're doomed to be wandering about in all different ways, You know, trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing and doing invariably the wrong things. This is what he's, Jesus has left us as a mission statement. To make disciples, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So disciples have a job to do, and that is to make more disciples. And so my question to you then is, are you the kind of disciple that we've laid out here? Not we, but the scriptures, We're just reporting. And are you the kind of disciple who is busy about making other disciples? Because... That's what our mission statement is. And so I hope that you're busy about that, trying to do that. That's what we're trying to do here in the church, and we want to see more come to faith and more grow in the faith of the Lord Jesus. Disciples. What is a disciple? We've answered some of that tonight. There is much, much more to be said. We'll do that another time. Father, as we close this portion of our message tonight, I pray that you will bless and keep us as we partake of the table together. Lord, watch over each one of your disciples. Protect them, keep them, and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Father, if there be any any undiscipled kind of way in us, any way that's out of line with what we've been reading here in the Bible tonight, I pray that you would take away that bent of sinning from us, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that the way in which we manifest our following the Lord will match what the scripture says. Let us not be those disciples that are fake, that are fair-weather friends, that are uh, just false disciples that, that are in hiding or not really interested in the things of God. Help us to be curious about the Word of God, to inquire and to learn, to be knowledgeable about the kingdom, to serve the Lord and to serve His people and serve other people that are outside of the faith, to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, to know that He was killed and rose again the third day, and and recognize the human impossibility of salvation and be humble about our own salvation. And uh, indeed... Partake of the Lord's table. May that be a mark of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.